Welcome to Quarantine Creatives. I'm Heath Rosella. Paul Rugg is my guest today. This is a fun one. I learned a lot. I hope you enjoy it. Paul is on the new, well, newish show on Disney Plus, Earth to Ned. It's produced by the Jim Henson Company. If you haven't seen it yet, it is a fun show. It's a talk show hosted by two aliens. Ned is kind of the main host, and then he has a sidekick, Cornelius. And they are both these crazy, awesome puppets, these Jim Henson creatures. So Paul does the voice of Ned, as well as some of the puppeteering. And we'll get into that a little bit later in terms of how many people it takes to bring Ned to life, which is wild. But Earth to Ned is just, it's a fun, light show that I really enjoy right now. You know, I I think there's a lot of heavy news in the world, and it's nice to just have a fun little place to go to hang out. And, uh, you know, celebrities go on it, just like any talk show, like Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon or, you know, anything like that. It just so happens that the host of the show is a giant alien. So Paul and I talked uh, maybe about two weeks ago. In the meantime, from the time he and I talked until now, there is a new episode of Disney Insider up on Disney+, Plus, which is a show that looks at sort of all the behind the scenes of things going on across the Disney company. And one of the episodes that they just put live within the last like week or so looks at the behind the scenes of Earth to Ned. So a lot of the conversation that Paul and I have today was before that episode had come out. I had no idea what any of the behind the scenes on that show looked like. Now, of course, if you're intrigued by hearing this interview and want to know exactly what it looks like, go check out Disney Insider on Disney Plus and uh, you'll get to see exactly all the crazy rigging and, you know, all the different people it takes to make Ned possible. It's pretty wild. Paul is also a voice actor and a writer. He did a lot of animation writing back in the 90s, Animaniacs, Freakazoid, probably two of the biggest ones, all that kind of Warner Brothers, Steven Spielberg, mid-90s stuff. And we talk a lot about that era too, because for me, growing up, those were big influential cartoons for me. Tiny Toons was probably the biggest. That was one that was kind of right in my sweet spot. That was the one that came first, and I was right at the age to watch Tiny Toon Adventures. But then obviously that spun off into Animaniacs and all these other great shows. And Paul was involved with so many of them. So we talk about that whole process as well. So yeah, just a fun conversation. If I feel like it's time to exhale and just have a little fun. You know, I, I have personally been holding in a lot over the last year or so, really the last four years, I guess. And it's nice just to just to have fun, <laughs> just to breathe again. And that's what today's show is all about. So I hope you enjoy it. Here it is, my interview with Paul Rugg. Well, I, w- I want to start by just asking about, you know, these last 10 or so months, this quarantine period. What's it been like for you? Like everyone else, lousy. You know, you, you want to do so much. I was working on a show out of Provo, uh, a clean sketch comedy show. It's an like executive producer and directing some of the sketches. And, you know, it's it's just crazy. You yeah. wear your mask and then you don't wear your mask. But I guess right now we everybody does what they have to do. So um, it's annoying. It's it's a pain in the butt. Yeah. But uh, it's you know we all got to do what we got to do. Right. This is a live sketch comedy show, not a not like a, a TV thing. No, it's a TV thing. So oh, okay. we we yeah we were uh, it's for uh, it's for BYU Television and it's a 
clean sketch comedy show and it uh we they normally have an audience they film it in front of an audience we didn't have an audience yeah. you know like everybody else and you're just like wow um how do we why i don't know how do right. we do this but everybody you know uh puts their shoes on and <laughs> like okay yeah i guess we got to do this so yeah it, it's weird like I, i've noticed with the late night shows and stuff just not having the audience there to react and like you know i feel like the hosts are always very unsure of like did that joke land and like how much should i be holding for for a laugh break at home like are people laughing right now or is it weird if i just sit here and absorb the non-laughter yeah that was de definitely an, an issue and it's, it's funny now i think the laugh track like everyone is now saying well i guess you i guess we should use our laugh tracks again but right. it is such a delicate little thing yeah and uh i've been watching some shows that they use laugh tracks and you're like wow that's really lousy yeah. <laughs> my wife and i were just talking about that like the flintstones had a laugh track <laughs> like yes it did it it's did. such a strange like you know just it's a cartoon. Like, how could there have been an audience there? But right, yeah, and I think the Jetsons too had a laugh track. Oh yeah, I don't. Uh, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to talk about Earth to Ned because I feel like that has been one of the bright spots in all this for a lot of people. First of all, I'm not even sure. Like, was that how much of the production of that had happened before? covid like was it all normal or all done before yeah gotcha. it was all okay. done but before i think we wrapped like mid-december of last year oh wow okay. when everyone was happy and walking around and it's so weird now like when i watch a movie or a tv show with my family and we see someone like shaking hands i'm like <gasps> you know right. it's so bizarre about how far yeah we've come but uh yeah no we got it all done before that yeah i, I wasn't sure only because like i noticed the guests don't sit right at the edge of the couch, they sit kind of, you know, a little over from Ned. And I was like, I don't mm -hmm. know if that's a COVID thing or is that just, you know, that's just yeah, how you guys no. blocked it. Yeah, I think they were frankly intimidated by seven foot aliens. So they're like, <laughs> I think I think I'll just sit in the middle of the couch. If it were just three arms, maybe. But the fourth arm yeah, right. is when it really gets, <laughs> when it gets weird. Um, talk to me about sort of how you first got involved with that project. Brian uh, put out, Brian Henson, they put out an audition. And the way Brian does it is is pretty in interesting. He he'll bring, you know, puppeteers that he's worked with in the past, although this time there was an improv component to uh -huh. it and also, you know, a talk show component. So he was sort of seeing the various people and how, you know, uh, how to conduct an interview. And that was really intimidating. But the way Brian do does it, too, is he lets the, all the other auditioners see the person auditioning in front of them. Oh, wow. Which is uh, super intimidating, right. but it's amazing because everyone starts suggesting in this like very collegiate, very team, you know, we, we can team way. Yeah, uh, right. uh, and you're just surrounded by these creative people that just want it to be great. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, on the, I mean, I know you have an improv background, but like the talk show piece, is that something that you had experience in going into it? No, no. In fact, I think he, he had told all of us to like really work on, and this is good for Im improv too. uh, work on listening. Right. Uh -huh. So it's like not just coming out. So I, I think having an improv background, you sort of had to use that muscle of allow someone to talk, yeah. digest what they're saying, come back with something else. So, yeah, uh, that really, really helped. Yeah, I, I was surprised in just, you know, reading interviews and, you know, some of the press stuff you guys have done that the interview portions are improv. Like, I just assumed, yes. you know, just the mechanics of the puppet alone felt like, you know, OK, that ha like you'd have to script it. But like 
it's it's pretty incredible what you guys have pulled off. Yeah, well, the so the the wraparounds and stuff, those are sort of scripted. And yep. the actual, you know, we would meet really early on uh, in the, the morning to sort of go over, I guess, like talk shows do, like we're, we want to sort of focus on this theme because NetHeads has themes. So there would be, you know, questions and um, that they were pretty specific about kidding. But once the actual interview started, you know, the guests might say something that took it off in a different tangent. And we thought that it was our job to sort of run that down and have have fun with it. But as far as the six puppeteers doing Ned, being able to sort of be one organic character, that just came with time. Yeah. And it was really cool to see, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, look, we're all we're all this one character yeah. and it's actually working. I guess we, we have a job for a while. So uh, yeah, it, it, that was a lot of fun. What is your... And dangerous too. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, what, so what are you actually doing? What, what part of the puppet are you controlling, if any? So I'm, I'm controlling Ned's mouth and everything he says. So okay. I'm basically running the character yeah. and then every, everyone else is sort of, you know, working off of, of all of that to sort of move him. We have someone inside, that's Morgana Ignis, and she sort of like moves the big bulk of the body, left yeah. or right. And then we have Donna Kimball. And is that, at, sorry, uh, is that in, the two center hands as well? She's doing those? No, oh, no, okay. on, wow. only the only the in, inside. So there's wow. literally someone someone in there sitting on this chair yeah. with all these bungee cords around and sort of moving it left <laughs> to right. Wow. And then Donna Kimball is in the front and she's doing the do front hands. And then yep. we have a person uh, on the left and person on the right, each doing the two backhands. Wow. And then sitting next to me, sort of kind of getting an idea of where I'm going is uh, Alan Troutman. He's been with the Henson Company for years and he's amazing. And his job was to do the eyes uh -huh. and to make sure that, that if I got excited or if Ned got excited, that the eyes would widen looking uh, left, right and all that stuff. Now, normally, a character like that is done, you know, one person would do the whole, whole face. Right. The traditional Muppet. Yeah. It would be like, yeah. The, the so would the do mouth. the mouth. Yeah. Right. But, uh, they wisely, <laughs> it was, they were like, ah, that's too complicated. Yeah. So when I would talk and, uh, move the mouth, uh, they would just all sort of feel. And, and after a month in rehearsals, we sort of knew that Ned was very excitable, very silly, kind of not very bright, but yeah. always very happy. And, Everyone just sort of were very attuned to what this character was. And uh, I'll be doggone if after a month we didn't go, yeah, yeah, okay, all right, yeah, we, we got it. <laughs> That's so, something, yeah. yeah. What You're actual, like when you're controlling the mouth, it sounds like you're not in the puppet, obviously. It's, is it like a radio control or something? Yeah, so the way Henson, so the puppet is about 20 feet away. Uh -huh. We're sort of in a pit off to the side of the stage, Okay. Alan and, and I, and I've, I've got a microphone and we have a monitor so we can see, obviously, very good close-up on Ned, but more importantly, close-up on the guest. Yep. Because it's that connection that we're trying to make. So I have what they call a Waldo, which is, I guess, it's, and that's a Henson term. And uh -huh. it's this basically this hand rig that if I, uh, that's got all these different motions to it. It's got up, down, left, right, backward, forward. And when I move it in that way, I can control the lip curl, like bringing the lips together to make an ooh, bringing lips out to make an e, wow. um, making them wide. There's a tongue thing in, in there. Um, and then 
to to finesse it even more, the fingertips you can you you can make an F shape, you can make a, a P and O, and that I have to tell you took me. I was petrified because yeah. I was like I uh, but uh, you know that's just practice. It's sort of like playing a piano, which I don't do that either. So it was like <laughs> you really have chosen the wrong wrong guy. Yeah. But it's doing that combination as you speak. And it looks like he's talking and, and it's bringing those lips together to make those various shapes. You know, it's, it's not just up, 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 you know, right. up, down, up, up, down. It's, and his head has 30, more than 30 motors, little servos wow. that are a- able to take that skin and compress it and widen it and, and do all those amazing things. I can't even imagine like, yeah, I, I guess I hadn't considered the subtleties of, you know, an F versus a P versus an O and, and how your mouth changes. But yeah, if, if it were just flapping up and down, it wouldn't look very believable. Yeah. So I mean, so that's sort of the trick to the Henson, you know, that that's what they're so good at is right. making these anima- animatronic characters. But you know, I've worked with them, the Henson Company, off and on. I did Puppet Up, which was an improv pu- puppet show. Yeah. But this sort of character, I had never done in my life. So, um, you know, Brian Henson would sometimes stand behind me, and I'd be like, "Oh my gosh, he's going to fire me any minute here." <laughs> right. But it's it's in blending. The whole illusion is in blending all these things: the eyes, the mouth, the movement. You know, if you were to like isolate the mouth, some sometimes you'd like, well, that M was pretty much an F and that O looked like a B. <laughs> yeah. But when you blend it all together and, and doing it live and doing it improv was, I mean, I have to say it was one of the, it, it was a blast. It, yeah. it, it was a blast. But I feel like it's it's got to be like, you know, racing a car or something where it's just like your mind's got to be in the improv space. But there's also this very technical thing that you're trying to pull, you know, like you're writing as you're performing, as you're yeah. puppeteering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Originally, I was going to sit for it uh-huh. uh, and, you know, and, and have my hand, my arm sort of cradled in this thing. And the energy, I'm like, guys, I have to, I have to stand. Yeah. So I would just stand and I'd be tapping my feet. And it, it did feel like, you know, driving a race car because yeah. not only is that happening, but the producers are also talking in my ear saying, oh, make sure you don't forget, you know, this. So I'm dealing with that. I'm trying to think of something funny to say. I'm trying to listen, and I'm trying to make sure I keep the interview on theme. Sometimes, honestly, I'd drive home at the end of the day and be like, I am so done. Um, (laughs) Sounds exhausting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was fun. Uh, I also just, like... uh... I don't know. It it sounds really, really crazy to be able to bring all those pieces together. And, you know, because it's all improv, like I could imagine, at least the way I would imagine you guys pull it off is, you know, maybe having a 20 or 30 minute interview that gets cut down to six minutes. Is that sort of how it goes? Or, you know, is there a lot of starting and stopping or is it fairly like a like a live talk show? Well, in inherent to to puppet shows, uh, there is a lot of starting and stopping Uh because uh not much, not so much for me because I'm sort of, you know, standing there in the corner, but the actual puppeteers inside, especially Donna, everybody doing the hands. Um, imagine they're literally down in a pit yeah, and their arms are up. And at the five minute mark, you begin to lose feeling, right? Mm. So you've got to build in a break starting at about five minutes to seven minutes just to give everybody who's doing the really physical puppeteering, yeah. especially, especially Michael Ostrom, who's doing Cornelius. 
with Nicole San Santino, uh, uh, they've got to put their arms down. They've got to get the blood back. Yeah. And what we found during those breaks was the guest, you know, some, sometimes when, when a puppet goes dead, you know, when, when you take all the arms away and everything yeah. stops, uh, that the guest would be sort of like, wow, they hadn't seen that. Like yeah. what's wrong, what's wrong with Ned? So I would continue to sort of just talk and, um, you know, banter with the guest to, to make sure that, <laughs> that we kept, we kept the illusion up. And right. that's one thing we learned uh, in doing the show. Like when we first started, we, you know, we'd bring the guest on and be like, so this is Paul and he'll be Ned and, or he'll be doing the mouth and this is Alan. And we would all wave. And then Ned would come to life and they'd be like, Whoa, this is too weird. Yeah. What we started to do with, a, you know, I think like three or four get guests in the moment that guest walked on set, we were ready. Yeah. We were Ned yeah. and Michael was Cornelius. And that really broke the ice. We did that to make sure that it wasn't such this, strange thing for for them ned, ned would say hey welcome and sit down you know yeah. enjoy can i get you a cup of coffee um, <laughs> like a, like a jimmy fallon or something would yeah exactly and then once that happened they would so, start being it so the interviews would go on for about an hour wow. um stopping and starting and some sometimes you know the <laughs> we would just take it in just such a bizarre direction <laughs> that i could i could almost hear the producers like screaming you right. know no why are you talking about Rulalenska or um, <laughs> all these crazy things. Cause we would just, we would have the best time. Yeah. Um, but obviously they've got to compress all that down to six, six minutes. And I, and having watched the episodes, I think their editing is like spot on. So yeah. it's really good. I'm, I'm curious too, like for the guests, you know, just sort of, I guess where you're seated and where Michael's seated, you know, I, I noticed the guests have a really good way of reacting. Like if Cornelia says something, they turn and look at him and, and you know, yes. then Ned's back at like, just sort of where are you guys physically? Well, again, Michael's actually operating Cornelius, right? Yeah. Michael, Michael's right under Cornelius. So Michael's actually in the thick of the action. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm not. So yeah, I'm like 20, 20 feet away and I've got, but, but I do have in my ear, I can hear the guest, but that was sort of amazing. Like when we first start, started doing it, we were like, we thought, oh, we'd have to say, now, listen, when you talk to Cornelius, he's over there, yeah. you know, when you talk to Ned here. But strangely enough, the, all the guests bought into it immediately. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it was like, OK, that's Cornelius. He's and this is Ned. Right. And oh, those are Claude's. And um, I can't say a bunch of that was like, so listen, here's how we're going to do this. Right. Um, they just sort of did it. And. That made us really happy, too. Yeah. Well, and that was something else I was curious about. Like for you guys um, as the regulars on the show, like I can imagine you have to sort of learn the world that these guys are from, you know, like what what planet are they from and what are their goals and the characters and, you know, all this. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the guests buy into that very quickly, too. Like they're they're. There didn't seem to be a lot of like, wait, what's the premise again? <laughs> like, I, I was surprised that worked so well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they they did. They, um, you know, obviously a producer. Uh, we had some really great producers that would sort of like make sure that every, you know, that the guests knew what the conceit was yeah. of the show. But what fascinated me was how every guest was there to play. Yeah. Like. They weren't going to question it and be like, wait a minute, I can't believe you're in it. They just sort of bought into it. And that saved us, I think, a lot of times in that it just became a regular talk show. Yeah. 
happened it happened to be hosted by an alien and i'm sure we edited out some you know people going on about you know i can't believe i'm in an underground ship but right. generally by and large everybody was just like i'm here on ned's show and yeah. um and they had never seen it yet right yeah, so right. they have no you know we had we weren't going to premiere for a year so um yeah i so i think the guests they found at least for this first season was like, you know, people that they knew were going to play. Right. Yeah. And, and it works, which is awesome. You know, I am curious about just the format of the show too, I guess. And this idea of, of an alien hosted talk show. And, you know, I <laughs> guess just if you've thought about sort of what it says about how we view celebrity and, you know, just the talk show genre in general, that, you know, you can, you can give it this treatment and it, it still kind of works, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think that was Brian Henson's basic conceit from the very beginning, which was, this is an alien who knows nothing or, or whatever he thinks he knows humanity is pretty much wrong. Yeah. He's starstruck. And that was a really important thing. Like he's, he's starstruck about c- celebrities, but he's also starstruck just about humans and how gosh darn cool they are and how cool the earth is. Yeah. So when once Brian gave us that prompt, which is, uh, look, Ned is hopeful. Yep. Uh, there's not going to be any cynicism. Yeah. Yeah. Ned's going to be a little pouty about something, you know, because he's got a huge ego, much like Daffy. Right. So Daffy wants to present this very charmed life to the world. But inside, he's sort of confused and stuff. Yeah. So that was real important to Brian that Ned not comment on, you know, negativity so much as what humans are. Yeah. I'm curious, too, like the, the parallels that I saw, like the show that kind of immediately comes to mind that just feels like it's it's in the same vein as peewee's playhouse for some reason and just you know mm. the the puppeteer having you know having puppets mixed in with live action but also just kind of this i think you just touched on it this kind of optimistic you know i, I was a kid growing up with that show and i remember mm-hmm. like it was very postmodern, but kind of filtered through this like 50s 60s lens and and i kind yes. of feel the same thing with earth to ned where you know, you could read it as very ironic and and very uh, sarcastic, or you could read it as very genuine and very sweet. And they're kind of both valid readings, if that makes yes. sense. No, no. Yes, a- absolutely. I-, I think that's true. Yeah. Sometimes we throw a little bit of or just by our very natures doing the puppet you know we might be a little sarcastic in a more inward way but yeah. not overtly right but yeah no i think i think ned is at his core and the show is at its core just hopeful and happy yeah because there's a lot of not hopeful and happy right so you know i mean it's like oh we got everybody else doing that stuff yeah for me it's fun because ned gets to learn things mm. and um you know, learn about food, learn about um, celebrity, learn about award shows, and yeah. then wants to sort of absorb it and do it his way, which will ultimately always be wrong. Yeah. And, you know, characters that are flawed and don't understand and are, you know, for one of a better term, you know, kind of dumb yeah. uh, are just so fun to do. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, you mentioned just sort of, you know, everything else is chaotic right now. Like, I wonder what the fan reception has been, you know, just the feedback that you've heard on the show. I think it's been pretty good. You know, I, I'm not quite sure. I don't know per se, like what individual fans are thinking of it, but yeah. I, I do know the I do know the reviews have been pretty good. Yeah. And the reviews have all pretty much mentioned that it's kind of just hopeful and maybe a nice place to escape to. Yeah. So that's great. 
because yeah, everybody needs to go somewhere <laughs> every now and then right now yeah, for sure. to a, a, a little happy place. Yeah. And I think one of the other interesting things Brian did in developing the show was to give sort of Ned the story uh, with his father, right? Mm, right. Uh, which is, you know, Ned was sent here to basically destroy the world, yeah. fell in love with human culture, decided to, you know, not do it yet. But we still have this threat of his father coming from wherever he lives. And I should know, but I don't. <laughs> it's escaped me. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Ned's going to have to he's going to have to make a decision at some point about what he's going to do. Yeah. Which I would assume he doesn't blow up the earth. But what do I know? Um, <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. But yeah. But that also gives, I think, the show some uh, an internal engine or at least sort of a direction. Yeah. There's a, there's an arc beyond just just the talk show piece. There's a there's a continuation. Right. That, yeah, for sure. Right. I, I'm curious. You, you mentioned you know working with Brian in the past. Like, I feel like he is somebody. I don't know him at all, but just you know from from a distance, it seems like he has really tried to take what his father was doing and expand it and say you know Henson is more than Muppets. It's you know it can be bigger things. It can be for more than just kids. And I'm curious right. to sort of, you know, what you've learned from him or sort of, you know, your your relationship with him, I guess. Well, I think Brian pretty much, uh, you know, wants to really uh, pay homage to his dad's legacy. And a lot of people think his dad's legacy stops, you know, at, at Muppets. Yeah. And just like you said, but but his dad was a deeply silly man with, you know, all kinds of crazy ideas. And Brian is very similar to that. I mean, you know, he's he's done Pop Pop It Up, which is probably the single most dangerous thing you can do is not only, you know, taking 80 puppets to a, a thousand seat theater and showing your audience what you're doing. Yeah. You know, the audience can see you under the puppet and how you're doing it. But then to throw improv at it. So so Brian, I think, wants to really push and sort of show how it's done and really expand, you know, puppetry yeah. that uh, it, it, it doesn't have to be a Muppet. It can be an animatronic. It can be digital pup puppetry. But I think above all, Brian just wants to do cool things, which is, you know, when you go, I think when we were first rehearsing, they sort of had a, an initial mock-up of, of Ned's head with the servos and, you know, the thing was breaking all the time and, you know, it didn't look great. Yeah. But you're at the creature shop, uh, which is, you know, where they've made everything. And, you know, to see a generation's worth of amazing puppets of kind of strange experiments and all these weird, cool things and to sort of be, you know, thrust in that environment, it sort of hits you really quickly. Wow, I guess we're going to do this. Like. Yeah. And Brian even ad admitted, you know, uh, he wasn't sure this was going to work. <laughs> you know, he was like, uh, I just told him it was going to work. I have no <laughs> idea whether we can actually do this. Right. But he's, yeah, he just wants to push it, which is great. Yeah, no, totally. And it just, you know, it keeps sort of bearing fruit, which is awesome. Um, yeah. I want to, you know, we've talked a lot about puppetry during this interview, but I know, you know, your your background is is more in animation, um, both writing mm -hmm. and uh, and voices and stuff. I'm just yeah. curious, sort of your path into entertainment. Like, what was it that that first, you know, gave you that bug? 
You know, I don't know. I I was working at of, of all places at a talk radio station right uh -huh. out of college. Okay. And I was like in charge of I don't know writing copy and all that stuff. And some friends of mine said, "Hey, we want to take you to this place uh, in the San Fernando Valley that it's this improv place. It was called the LA Connection." And and I was like, "Oh, I don't want to do that." Blah blah. blah. And then I got into improv, and then I sort of joined various groups and stuff and wound up at a place i was one of the original members of a, the acme comedy theater just having a great time writing uh sketches performing improv and doing these things and that's when they were developing a show called animaniacs and uh -huh. they realized they wanted this kind of quirky kind of sketchy vibe to it right and uh i you know to be honest with you i was like animation yeah i don't i don't really know i don't really care or but they were like well you know why don't you come and so um they said hey these three characters are the marx brothers and i was a huge marx brothers fan yeah and that's how i basically got into it just had a blast my first show that i ever did was a show called animaniacs and they let me do some voices on it and yeah. and then i became uh, one of the story editors later on and um I have to tell you, it's, it's so funny. I have I have friends that sort of did the sitcom path, right? Yeah. You know, and they're all doing very important sitcoms, and <laughs> you know, and and uh, you know, all sitting around a table thinking about jokes and staying there till 4 a.m. to get those jokes right. And, right. and you know, in Animaniacs, you know, we got in at I would go in early, but you know, we we left at six and went home to our families and. You know, went in the next day and and had a blast. Yeah, I mean, we were absolutely nuts and um, hardly ever any notes and uh, you know notes being network people telling you you can't do that. That right. hardly hardly ever happened. It spoiled me now, I think, for working further on in in the industry because uh, it's <laughs> what are just these notes not coming in. Yeah, what yeah. It's like, what do you mean you don't love what I'm writing? That's yeah. crazy. It's great. But I think Warner Brothers in the '90s, you know, Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, yeah. Tiny Toons, right. Batman, Freak Freakazoid was. Um, and I think if you talk to the people that were there at that that time, it was this. I can't even explain it. It was this free do whatever you guys want uh, a yeah. jean mccurdy who is our sort of our she was the president of warner brothers animation and under whom we did all these things and she said you know you just do whatever you want but never you know never get me in trouble and that was basically <laughs> you know and steve steven spielberg too was like guys just have a great time yeah. so yeah those that that was a very magical time. Yeah. Well, you know, that it's funny you describe it that way because that is sort of the impression I got as an audience member was just like there's kind of no rules <laughs> to this world. Yeah. Like I yeah. mean in so many different ways and you know those show I mean the Animaniacs reboot like people are going nuts on you know on Twitter and stuff these days mm -hmm. so, like they're just so happy that that show is back. And, you know, yep. I, I wonder, like, what is it about them? You think those, those series of shows you just named all the, the Warner stuff in the 90s? Like, what was it that resonated? Why did why did they do so well? And why are they so treasured now? So I have I have a couple of theories and they're probably wrong. But <laughs> okay. um, but one of the theories is that we rarely gave the audience what they expected. Uh -huh. Right. So meaning an Animaniac short you couldn't always tell where that thing was going, sure. right? 
it was like, here, we're going to do a little something that's weird. And by the way, sometimes we're going to talk to camera. And that wasn't done then. And uh, But we were a big fan of breaking the fourth wall quite, yeah. quite a bit. It was taking stories, directions, characters, uh, having a good time with them, making them really crazy, and doing something you probably didn't expect. Yeah. And so the reason I think maybe, and I could be totally wrong, the reason I think maybe that people want that again is, and especially now having worked in the industry for a while, there is a very big uh, contingent of executives, you know. Oh, by by the way, when I started Warner Brothers, we had maybe like three people uh-huh. like in the whole thing that were like, by the way, maybe you should cross right. that T or something. <laughs> now you've got billions of people that are all giving you notes and stuff. Right. And I think what that's done is it's made everything sort of like the McGee do you know who McGee is or McGee? He wrote story structure, like every good story has these elements. I probably learned this in college, but I don't, it it sounds vaguely familiar, but yeah. So his basic premise is that, is that every story has, you know, by the page four, your villain, blah, 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 blah. And I think that's a bunch of hooey to be honest with you. But a lot of the executives now, the millions of executives that are sort of zooming all over and uh, <laughs> they don't approve a script yeah. until it has all of these same things, mm. this very generic. Ah, that makes us comfortable because we know that we we've seen that before. Yeah. And we didn't do any of that in Warner Brothers. In fact, the moment we smelled that, we would just run the other way. And the other thing, too, is that now. You know, when you write something, you write an outline, which yeah. is basically a glorified script, which is in this script, you know, Yakko will walk into a room and this will happen. Uh, but when we were writing Animaniacs, sometimes we would get like six pages into a script and go, hey, I don't think this is working. Do you know? <laughs> All right. So we go back to page one and yeah. totally change it. So it was. Yeah, I don't know. It was freedom. I think I think people can smell and feel when the creators are just having a blast. Right. Yeah. I mean, that definitely translates on those shows. Um, you mentioned Steven as well, Steven Spielberg. And, you know, I, yeah. I've always just sort of wondered, like, his name's on all the shows. But, like, mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, this is the era when he's making Schindler's List and stuff. And, like, that was yeah. always kind of incongruous in my mind, I guess. Like, yeah. what what was his sort of day-to-day involvement? So Steven would sort of get us get us going, right? Uh-huh. So, you know, with and and maniacs, you know, so the characters are this, the characters this, characters this. So we would just start writing. And once we were happy with the script, those scripts would go right to Steven no matter where he was, whether he was in Warsaw, you know, Poland or yep. doing whatever. And when I started, I was like, Yeah, right, he's not gonna <laughs> someone else someone else is gonna just you know give us notes or whatever i mean it's not gonna be him and within a day always within a day always 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 um we would get notes yeah sometimes sometimes the notes were hey i really like this but on page four uh do you think maybe we could do and i'm like wait a minute he's reading this stuff yeah so he was always reading um always suggesting you know really liking what we're doing and, and just that was so encouraging. It yeah. was like, who would, you know, I remember I, the first time I ever got a fax from, from him on a script I had written. And I think I called my parents. I think <laughs> I faxed my, I faxed it to my wife. Sure. I think I ran through the hallways. Uh, yeah, but he did everything. And then when we did a show called Freakazoid, yeah. he, which he really sort of had a great time sort of um, working with us on, he would start suggesting these random crazy thing. I think one of the biggest <laughs> ones 
was I had written this something for uh, the Jack Valenti. You probably know who that is, but he was president of the Motion Picture Association of America. And uh-huh. I just threw him in because I thought it would be funny. And it was just a one off thing. And the next thing you know, Stephen's like, well, you know, I can get us Jack Valenti to come in <laughs> and record that. I was like, really? Do you do we really want to do that? He goes, oh, yeah, I think so. So it's like so. No, Stephen was all over it. That's awesome. I had no idea. Like it was just, it's one of those things that you always kind of wonder as a kid, but yeah, like it's, yeah. No, no. And maybe, yeah. And maybe, you know, as you're making Amistad and saving private Ryan, it's a good release too, to have, you know, to have some comedy to go to and to think about. Yeah. Well, there's a story. I think he, he told us the the story. He was doing Schindler's list Uh and he was, he was getting dailies of uh, like, you know, after we would cut a sketch together, we would send him the VHS. Um, And so I, I think he told us once he was going right from this very dramatic scene and then popping in a VHS of a pinky in the brain and laughing and then having (laughs) to go back to the, to the girl in the dress. And yeah. So yeah. Just shifting gears like crazy. Um, Having been on both sides of the mic as a, as a voice actor and as a writer, is there a job that you prefer over the other? One is way less stressful. (laughs) One is you show up in your jeans and sometimes slippers if you care to. Yeah. And I mean, voice overwork is is just so much fun and um, it's great. Writing, you know, as you know, you have to write. And yeah. sometimes that sends you into very like, you know, you're thinking, overthinking and it's not working out and you can't get that line right. Um, I personally never had that happen with uh, voiceover. It's just, yeah, you show up, you're like, what did you write? Okay, yeah. I'll do do that. That's fine. But I think the more satisfying would be the writing producing. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but doing the voice is just like, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Is there, I wonder like as a voice actor, like people probably don't know your name. They, they don't know your work necessarily, you know, but like, yeah. but they know your voice. Like, has that ever happened just like in a Starbucks or something where like, you know, someone turns around and says, wait, are you freakazoid? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think, in fact, um, because normally like freakazoid is the only voice I ever did. That's pretty much me, my uh-huh. voice. Right. But most of the other things are like, you know, you know, very crazy voices like that, you know, yeah. uh, that no one would ever know. Um, but I think a couple of people have said this a couple of times, like, hey, hey, do free- Freakazoid. And I'm like, wait a minute. I don't even know how to do that because that's just me. Oh, well. <laughs> so, no, I uh, I rarely. Yeah, no. More more people ask me about my chihuahua that bit me than anything else. So <laughs> the uh, viral video that it. you did with it. Yeah, yeah that was that's awesome. it. I've I've got like I've worked doing 30 years and then I spent, you know, one minute doing a silly video with my dog and <laughs> it was like, <laughs> wow. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Um, well the new season of, uh, or the new episodes, I guess of, of Ned are, are just back. Have you heard or the, have you guys been picked up? Is there more coming or do we know yet? I don't know yet. I would really love to do more because I think we just sort of figured it all out. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I'm hoping that we'll do more because we did, we did 20. So now that's 20 that are, that are done and completed. And I think there's still a lot more that Ned needs to learn about, about the world. All right, there we go. Paul Rugg. Wasn't that fun? Ah, so cool. Just thinking about the different mouth motions that go into making a believable puppet, to me, was so cool. 
Uh, I've been playing around with Adobe Character Animator a little bit and, you know, watching some tutorials. And when they're showing all the different mouth shapes that these characters can make, I'm like, oh, I immediately thought of Paul in this conversation. So it was fun. I'm learning. It's great. Go check out Earth to Ned on Disney+. Plus. The first 20 episodes are up now to stream, and maybe there will be more soon. Who knows? Fingers crossed. Although I don't know how you do it safely in the time of COVID. <laughs> We've got, what was it, four puppeteers all operating this single creature? I mean, that's that's not quite social distanced. So maybe we'll have to wait until the summer or, you know, when things settle down. But hopefully soon. I want to tell you quickly about Thursday's show because I'm very excited for it. It's another Paul. This one is Paul Sunhyung Lee. He is an actor based in Toronto And he is in this incredible show that is on Netflix. You should go check it out. It's called Kim's Convenience. It's actually a CBC show, and it runs in Canada before it goes to Netflix and gets taken around the world. But it's a show my wife and I discovered during quarantine and just adore. It's the story of a Korean family that has moved to Toronto and run a convenience store. And yeah, it's just sort of all about, you know, generational tension and cultural tension between the parents that were born and raised in Korea and their kids that are Canadian. And Paul also has a role in this season of The Mandalorian and is a huge Star Wars fan, so we talk about that as well. So Paul Sun-Hyung Lee coming up on Thursday's show. It's a good one. You don't want to miss it. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so you'll be one of the first to get that in your feed. My new shows are every Monday and Thursday. You can also sign up for the newsletter at heathrasella.com and enter your email, and you will get newsletters every Sunday all about this show and the things I'm learning from these guests. Have a great week. Stay safe.